What's up, everybody? This is Ryan Staley, and you are listening to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom Podcast, where we share with you the underground ninja skills and tactics the top sales and marketing leaders are using to create financial and lifestyle freedom. And the question that everybody is asking is, how do I create financial and lifestyle freedom for me? That is the question, and this show is the answer. All right. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> we are here for the first Sales and Marketing Built Freedom podcast slash show slash LinkedIn Live of 2021. And I have a very special guest with me today. I have McCall Jones. So if you do not know McCall Jones, she coined the concept of charisma hacking, has been an actress since the age of six. Is that is that correct? Since the age of six, you've been doing this? So... Yeah, so I've been performing since the age of, well, six, yeah, eight when I was professionally, and then, yeah, actress as a teenager, been performing for a long time, which kind of led me to all this crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've even sang in front of as many as 35,000 people, is that what I saw as well? Yes, yes, I have. So, awesome background, and it's very, I guess, eclectic, which is cool, because What's happening right now, and this is the main reason why I wanted to have you on, is so many people are getting pushed to video. And this is like massively outside their comfort zone. We're talking business owners, we're talking revenue leaders, we're talking sales executives. And let's be honest, some people are amazing and some people really suck at it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is, is, I'm sure, why you're doing what you're doing. So can you give just everybody just a little quick backdrop about you and a little bit more detail about how you kind of got down this path, a little bit of your origin story. I got, you know, a little Marvel characters on here as well. So um, so why don't you give everybody a background on you? Absolutely. I'll try to make this uh, concise. I'll do this in as short amount of time as possible. Um, So yeah, I grew up as a child performer uh, that you kind of said before. So yeah, I started singing professionally when I was eight. I did Crowds of 20,000 starting when I was eight, uh, 35,000 starting when I was 11. Um, I was an actress. Uh, I danced and I did all these different things. Um, And I really, really loved performing, but I also had incredible performance anxiety. Um, And this performance anxiety didn't necessarily come from, you know, the crowd sites because I loved large crowds, but it came from... Uh, thinking that I was going to disappoint people and thinking that I I had this recurring nightmare where I would wake up and I wouldn't be able to repeat what I did the day before, where I wouldn't be able to sing, speak, dance, perform, act anymore. And I wouldn't know how to recreate that. And it was this really interesting thing. I also like, I derived all of my worth in being a performer. And I thought that if one day I woke up and wasn't able to do these things that nobody would love me anymore. So it was like, it was this very deep rooted anxiety. And because of that, um, I looked for things that I could control and I looked for things that I could measure. So the first thing that I would do is I would count the people that would compliment me. And it was something that I could measure, but it was very unhealthy, right? So that was the first thing that I would do. And if it would get to the number that I, that it had gotten to the the time before, at least, um, you know, with performing, then I would relax and think I did a good job and then it was fine and moving forward. Um, But like I said, I I even knew that at a young age that I wasn't very healthy. So I had this kind of pivotal moment uh, when I was nine years old, I was sitting there um, singing at this Steve Young retirement benefit cruise. So Steve Young was this big football player for the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, it was his retirement benefit cruise. He's amazing, right? 
And Donnie Osmond, I don't know if you know who Donnie Osmond is, yeah, but he was yeah. performing. Yeah, it was amazing. So he, Donnie, I liked to say when I was nine years old that Donnie opened for me because Donnie was singing right before me. And I was sitting backstage with this uh, like room divider of a backstage area because we were on this boat. And um, I was having my ritualistic panic attack where I was, you know, getting ready to go on stage and getting nervous and wondering what people were going to think and, you know, making sure that I was doing my choreography and all this stuff. And uh, Donnie did something with the crowd that made the crowd laugh. And but he wasn't singing a funny song. And it pulled me out immediately of this of this panic attack. And I kind of like snuck around uh, past this room divider. And I started watching all the different things that he was doing. And at this point, I would performed on a lot of different stages. And I had never seen an audience interact with a performer the way that this audience was interacting with Donny Osmond. And it was it was something that all of a sudden I knew that I wanted. And it was something that uh, all of a sudden I saw this formula on how to get it. So I started paying attention to uh, different things he was doing with his hands. And I was like, I could do that. I could point at the audience that way. I could like go side and front and do all these things that he's doing. And let's see if I get the same reaction. Things he was doing with his facial expressions. I was like, I could do that. I could do this with my facial expressions in the audience. Let's see if they react the same way. Same thing with my body. I'm like, I could cover the stage this way. I could say these things that he's saying and see if I get a similar reaction. And I started to break down, you know, the art of performance um, into things that were extremely measurable where I could get off stage and then I called them my checklist, right? And I could go through my checklist and say, okay, did I, did I do a good job? Did I do this with my hands, do this with my face, do this with my voice, do this with my body? And all of a sudden I had this way to not only repeat, but measure uh, my success. So all of a sudden I started using these checklists in every area of my life. Um, you know, I have these three different voice teachers who all taught completely different methods and I would go between them and they were all, you know, the best at what they did. I'd travel between Utah and Texas and LA. Um, and as I would go through these different teachers, they would tell me if I did anything that the teacher before had taught me that I was doing it wrong. And once again, I was this disappointment. And, you know, they'd be like, are you even practicing? Like, this is not what we talked about, you know, and my parents were kind of like, listen, McCall, you have to figure this out or we're not going to keep doing this. So I, I just would cry and cry and be like, I swear I can sing. I swear I can do this until I realized the exact same principles applied. And I was like, wait, they have a checklist. Each one of these teachers has a checklist, right? And if I do this with my voice, this with my face, this with my mouth shape, this with everything with this teacher, and then I forget that checklist and do a completely different checklist with this teacher, I can succeed. I can succeed and all of them will, you know, love me or all of them will say, this is a great thing. So it worked there. Then I went to acting and I was like, okay, what do these directors want, right? What do I do on camera? Um, you know, casting directors, different things like that, voiceover work. I started applying it in every different area of my life. And I really did. I perfected the art of being in front of people with repeatable and measurable checklists or processes uh, for years and years and years. That had been 10 years at this point. And when I was 18 years old, I got fired from an acting job for being too fat. And it was excruciating. It, I all of a sudden, between my audition and like me showing up to actually film, um, I had gained weight. This boy broke up with me, was going through things, and I had gained weight. And I was dismissed from set. They called my agent. And it was so devastating. So devastating because once again, I was like, oh my gosh, I've disappointed people. Uh, it, it was so devastating that I decided that I never wanted to be on camera again. I decided flat out then I was never going to do it again. 
And uh, within a couple of years, the cool thing was I had somebody come to me and ask me if I could help them with an audition that they were doing. If I could teach them the success that I had had, if I could repeat that in somebody else. Mm-hmm. And um, once again, it brought kind of its own source of anxiety because like, I, I knew that I couldn't be the reason they succeeded or failed because that was so much pressure. And I had just come from this place that like I had been rejected so, um, you know, so clearly. And so I, I told this amazing girl that I would do it if we could do it my way. If at the beginning of the lesson, we'd filmed a before video and at the end of the lesson, we filmed an after video and then we compared. And if there clear difference, then yes, we could do it again. Yes, I would take her money and we could move forward. And if there wasn't, then we would never speak of it again. And she said, okay. And then we did it. And I found that these checklists that I had created, because they were so concrete, they transferred over seamlessly with with this first person. And then that that kind of created my first business of me teaching kids and entertainers how to sing, be on stage, speak act, do voiceover work um, with these repeatable processes, right? So I just taught them my checklist. I just taught them my checklist. And uh, for the next seven years, I perfected the art of teaching people how to be in front of people, right? So from then, um, I had this business. It was going amazing. And then I went to Funnel Hacking Live, which is this big internet marketing convention, uh, to see my sister-in-law speak. I knew nothing about the internet marketing space. And uh, my whole life changed (laughs) because I sat there and I looked around and there were all these entrepreneurs who were performers, but they didn't really know it yet. And uh, they would come up to me and they would tell me their dreams and tell me their solutions. And I would get so incredibly pumped for them. And then I would see them five seconds later, either on stage or going to film some sort of ad or joint venture or in a different networking situation. And they were completely different people. And I realized like, oh my gosh, the things that I have perfected, not only doing, but then teaching, if these people had these things, then they could deliver their message to the world. And it no longer became about empowering entertainers to entertain people further, but it became about empowering entrepreneurs to literally change the world. If they had my solution, their solutions became uh, better. They became more digestible. They became something that would actually attract people. So I came home from Funnel Hacking Live. I shut down my whole first business and I started Charisma Hacking. And here we are. <laughs> oh, long story, but yeah, it's, it's been a ride. It's been crazy. So anyways, um, but yeah, so you have that, you have the dining out. And I get that, like there's patterns to everything. So I think that's that's very, very cool that you actually internalize it and are like, hey, this teacher was doing A, this teacher is doing B. Yeah. And at the same time, like I've seen that like as well. Like tell, tell me you don't see that all the time with entrepreneurs. I literally wrote down my entire traffic strategy today, which is like how I'm going to, you know, basically publish how this is for the non-marketing people because I, I kind of went down the marketing nerd route. I've been a sales nerd my whole life, but now I'm I'm going into the marketing entrepreneurial nerd world. So I went to Funnel Hacking Live as well. I love that. Um, yeah, it was awesome. But um, but one of the things I literally mapped it out. And if you look at it, there are so many different ways to be successful. Everybody's like, organic traffic's the way to go, paid traffic's the way to go, outbound's yeah. the way to go, inbound's the way to go. Everybody is like campaigning for their own thing. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I could tell you just going through down, down this entrepreneurial path. And then I talk to salespeople as well. Yeah. Part of it is confidence on why they don't want to get on video. Hmm. Other part is like, I when I first tried it, the first time I tried to make like a, a video, 
like it sucked really bad. <laughs> like I was like, I was trying to overdo the hand thing because you yeah. see like telling you like use your hands, be expressive, do that. Awesome. Right. So like everything they were telling it was like so awkward and robotic. So I think it'd be cool, especially for for Carol and everybody else to tease this, like how do you like walk us through the checklist a little bit more? What does that consist of? What does it look like? I know you mentioned acting, voice, hand movements, body mm -hmm. movements. Did I miss anything? Are those the core four or did I miss anything? Yeah, so it's face, voice, body, and then your relationship with the camera if you are using film or your relationship with an audience if you're using the stage or your relationship with the microphone if you're using audio. So yeah, face, voice, body, and then I take camera because we're talking film right now. Um, yeah, so the place, that, the place that I start with everybody is kind of to, to define what charisma is, right? Because when they say good versus bad, um, it's hard to measure if it's good or bad. Uh, without saying why. So the very first thing I have people do is say, okay, we we first have to be extremely observant. So the whole motto of charisma hacking is ask yourself why. So mm -hmm. everybody has their own taste, right? And that's really, really important to everybody has their own voice or way that they're going to be on camera. So the first thing that you have to do is you have to be observant of what you're drawn to, because it's going to open your eyes to a couple things. One, somebody can be charismatic and you cannot be drawn to their specific type of charisma, right? Or two, um, you cannot necessarily like somebody in person or like what they're saying, and for some reason you can't look away because of the way that they're delivering their information, right? So there, there are things that draw us in that repel other people, and there are things that repel us that draw other people in, right? So knowing that, knowing that my taste is gonna be different than your taste, Ryan, uh, my voice and you know energy and charisma and all those things is also gonna be very different than yours. And it doesn't mean that one of them is more charismatic than the other, it just means that they're gonna attract a different audience. They're gonna attract a different you know fan base or Addict, as we call it with charisma hacking, right? So the first thing that we have to start with is we have to say, okay, how we define charisma is not the amount of energy that you have or how extroverted you are, or even the engagement or entertainment value that you're going to put into a video, even though we talk about some of those things. Instead, we say charisma is the ability to make somebody who doesn't know you trust you. Right. So if if you can do that, it actually does not matter if you're a total spaz like me and you're like doing things all over the place. Right. If you're over accelerating your hand motions or not, we have to dive into the things that make you trustworthy and that make you engaging to specific people. So knowing that we have to say, OK, the things that work for one person don't necessarily work for another person with the blanketed statement of like, it could, right? I could take anybody and make them whatever I want them to be, but it wouldn't be beneficial for their actual business, right? If I'm trying to make an actor or an actress out of you, that would be fine. I could just give you tips that would make you more engaging on video, but it wouldn't make a sustainable business model because the closer people got to you, the less they would see the things that we put in that were just tricks and the more they would see the real you and they would leave even if the real you was better than the tricks because it's inconsistent, they would leave, right? So the first thing that we have to create is predictability with your audience. That predictability is so key because people invest in things that are predictable, right? So I tell my people all the time that it would be better to be a consistent villain than an unpredictable hero because people would know how to react and act towards that villain and they wouldn't know how to act or react towards the hero, right? And I don't suggest nobody be a villain. That's a bad thing. Don't do that, right? But 
uh, we have to start to create predictability. So the first thing I have people dive into in order to create that predictability is saying, okay, how are you actually, right? When you're with your, your very favorite person in the world, when you are your most engaging self or your most charismatic self, when you are the version of yourself that you like the very most, who is the person that you are with? Who is the person that actually brings that out in you, right? Because everybody already has somebody who's aggressively devoted to them. They hang on your every word. They laugh at your jokes. They think you're great. They believe in you, right? All we have to do is recreate that experience in strangers or recreate that experience in clients, recreate that experience in anybody watching you. But we don't have to create it from scratch, right? We're not just making something up that says, oh, here's how we're going to draw people to you that you've never done before. We take those things that we say, okay, if you are this way, when you're with your very favorite person in the world, it doesn't matter if you get social anxiety and then shut down in front of crowds, because that's not what we're going to focus on. We're going to say, how do we take these tactics and make a checklist or a framework out of them? And we say, okay, now let's apply these things to your videos so that you are becoming more of yourself on video instead of just more entertaining or more engaging. So you want to map out the things and be incredibly observant. Obviously, one, of what you are drawn to, and then two, how you actually are when you are your most engaging self. Because then you can break that into our categories that we just talked about. Face, voice, body, camera, right? It's like, how would you interact with an actual human? That becomes your camera. What does your facial expressions look like when you are excited with your very favorite person in the world? Then when you watch a video of you talking about your business, something that you should be excited about, do your facial expressions match that? And if not, what's missing? What's happening with your eyebrows? What's happening with your mouth? What's happening with your voice, right? Then we say, okay, how does your voice sound when you are excited with your favorite person in the world, right? When you listen or watch a video or listen to a podcast that you've done talking about your business, is something missing? And if so, we can break that into very small steps of like, oh, is it higher when you're talking to your favorite person? And then, you know, it becomes lower when you're on video or on a podcast, or is it more monotone? Is there less voice inflection or is it uh, more intense, less intense, right? We look at the things that are actually inherently you, and then we can see the missing pieces. You can say, okay, now with your body, when you're on camera, do you look like a dead fish? But when you're with your favorite person, do you look like a crazy, you know, charismatic moving piece? Or when you get on camera, are you doing very awkward motions that you would never do when you're with your favorite person? We can start to create those measurable and repeatable processes that no longer become, is this good or is this bad? But we just say, oh, what very, very specific things are you missing? And how can we utilize those things in order to make your video, you know, if we want to say better or make your video more of you when you are the very best version of yourself? But that's what I was thinking when you were saying, like, how you act when you're with your most favorite person in the world and what's that like? And I'm like, yeah. well, because you're the best version of yourself. And that's what yeah. you're finished with. So uh, that's pretty cool. So a couple of people are chiming in. Carol was asking just, hey, uh, how to work with IT people and marketing people. Uh, she said, you know, basically, um, is it, if she's too charismatic, she'll lose credibility with real cerebral folks. Uh, how to work with those folks. And then Lisa, if you can maybe weave those two, is uh, she just loved the quote, better be a consistent villain than an unpredictable hero. So Thanks, light, bulb, light bulb went off for that. So what, what would you say to what, what Carol chimed in with? How would you react? Oh, I love that. I love that you said that, Carol. So there's a couple different things that you have to consider, right? Within corporate America versus uh, like an entrepreneurial space, they're a little bit different. And here's why. 
with within corporate America, they do control the company culture of what they want people to kind of appear as within their company or the the culture that they want people to show. Right. And, and I totally understand that. Right. When you say I'm going to lose credibility with people who are more techie or I'm going to, I'm going to lose credibility with who are more in that cerebral space. Right. As you're saying that, um, there's a couple of different things that I want you to consider because I also want to speak to the entrepreneurial space. Um, within a company culture, you have to make sure that you are saying, okay, what, what exactly are they wanting me to show and, and make people see, right? What are the emotions that we need people to feel, right? I I know that especially as a woman, Carol, I'm assuming that you are a woman. Um, as a woman, a lot of times people say that you, that, that you are less professional if you are bubbly or people think you're stupid if you're bubbly. The first thing that I have to say is that is not true. Um, you know, and I know that that speaks more to the entrepreneurial community because you can create your own company culture. Uh, it also depends on your position, Carol, within your company. If it's more of, um, if you're in a higher up position, you are going to create your own culture within your own department. So you, you can absolutely still be your most engaged self with them and they will adapt. Um, it's making sure that there's a good balance between different parts of your personality that are already there. Uh, for me, right, I'm a total spaz. I got a lot of energy. But at the beginning, right, there have been a lot of people who have said, because of that, I must be stupid. I have experienced that, right? Now, within my business, nobody thinks that. I hope, <laughs> right? Nobody thinks that, that I know of or that will say it to my face, right? But I, I did experience that. Um, I have experienced that before. The thing that the thing that I really try to lean into now is that the two things are not mutually exclusive. A lot of times what happens is when we are more effusive, when we are bubblier, we're talking about more emotional subjects, right? And then when we're when we bring in um, professor mode, teaching mode, tech mode, what happens is we try to stifle that part of ourselves, even though it happens a little bit more naturally. So people feel like the effusiveness is either fake, or it's it has no place in those teaching moments. Um, you know, you can you can tone it down. Uh, like I said before, just based on what your personality is, my words that I say, okay, here are the key parts that go into my personality are funny, smart, and real, right? And I'm like, okay, I have to be at least one of these things at all times in order to actually be myself, right? So funny, smart, or real. Sometimes there's a combination of those things, right? And sometimes I'm like being silly and being smart or being real and being funny or different things like that. But people, people get to know, um, the three-dimensional character like i said within corporate america i think that you can focus like just talking tactically you can focus less on voice inflection and more on the intensity of things uh and get your point across a little bit more right if it really is um a deep insecurity of yours you can you can adapt to a more intense part of your personality if you want um i would i would just first address like the cultural issues and say like okay what am i afraid of them saying why would they say that um and kind of how how to address that head on if you start talking more technically right and if you use more technical terms while being effusive they have no reason to say you are 
dumb, you are stupid, right? I'm using the words that people have used for me in the past, right? They have, they have no excuses to say that. And then they adapt, right? But if, um, there, there's kind of a lot of analysis there, but I have seen that in corporate America, right? I just have to let you know, it's, it's not true. You don't have to do that. Right? You don't have to get rid of parts of your personality in order to appear more professional. If anything, being more of yourself, I feel makes you more professional because it allows you to be more at ease and focus on the things that actually matter. It's, it's hard though. I do know Carol. Yeah. If you have follow-up questions, please leave them in the comments. Um, I do know that that's, that's hard. And like I said, company culture, you have to make sure that you fit within that. If you're, if you are in a corporate position, second question was, what was the second question? That was just uh, like the comment. That's all. Wasn't oh, it? Say, yeah. And in like, I can Carol, so I can relate to what you're talking about too. Um, I worked in for a leader that was very, very serious uh, mm. in one of my past positions. And, and it was kind of funny because like my team, you know, I was a sales leader and my team opened up the most to me when I did not act like that. Mm -hmm. So that was my team culture. And then what I saw is um, there's numerous folks on my team that were uh, more energetic, like McCall, very animated, right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they didn't come off, they didn't, you know, like, there, there was the fear for some of them because they even told me like, hey, I don't want to come off as stupid. I don't want to come off, you know, like I need to be serious. And here's what I would say is like a way that I saw them get around that and perform at a really, really high level was what they did is they 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 trumped that. They, they were who they were. But what they did to overcome it was they what they said they were going to do, they followed through it and did it when they said they were going to do it. Yeah. And so the customer truly, truly respected them for being their authentic person. But then also like, being someone who makes shit happen, you know, and actually does what they say they're going to do when they're going to do it. So it really is uh, on top of everything else. It's the consistency, you know, even to use the word that you just did consistency trumps everything. I think the problem is um, with, with inconsistent personality traits, especially uh, people learn to distrust that part of your personality if they don't see it very often, right? Mm -hmm. So if all of a sudden you come in and you are more effusive or you are bubblier or you are, you know, these stereotypical, more charismatic things, if they've never seen that before, they're going to think you want something from me or they're, they're going to think it's for a purpose rather than just the consistent part of who you are, right? So a lot of times um, it's really interesting. I'll go through and I'll charisma hack people and I'll be like, oh, here's what makes them charismatic. Here's what makes or them charismatic. And I'll have clients come back and be like, oh yeah, but I'm not really, a, I'm not really attracted to that person's charisma. And it's interesting because we've had conversations where I'll say, you know, I didn't think I was at first either until I got to know them in person. And I realized they're like this all the time. And for some reason that made it even more trustworthy for me, right? Like the people who dove in and were like very preacher like, like because they're like that all the time, I was like, oh, I actually have come to really love that about them, right? Even though I know it attracted a, a certain specific audience as well, like to their videos. It also, I mean, if you remember the the definition that we're using of charisma, um, especially like with the subject that we're talking about too, Carol, is that charisma is the ability to have people trust you that don't know you, right? And this trust is what we're going for, right? So as a leader within an organization, that trust is key for both people underneath you and above you, right? You have to be consistent. Yes, obviously with your work ethic, obviously all of those things, but just speaking to the charisma part of it, if you are the same all the time, it, it develops this trust with these people that you could be shy, introverted, extroverted, bubbly, effusive, or, or more 
you know, boring or whatever. But as long as that's consistent, people will learn to trust that. And as soon as they trust that, then it actually doesn't matter what you are as long as you're the same. Does that make sense? Love it. Yeah, I think it's great. I think you're dead on. I mean, trust is so huge. So let me ask you this. How do you use this? Because mm -hmm. the audience is going to be a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of sales execs, revenue leaders. How do they use this to grow revenue? Yeah, so um, in a couple ways. So with with you know what I call the aggressive devotees. So we have two different audiences uh, that we address in charisma hacking. The first is the indifferent masses, and this is where a lot of people focus all their energy. It's like on Facebook ads, trying to acquire people to buy their seven dollar product that then leads them into other things. I do see the value in that because I know how a funnel works, right? But we have this second group of people uh, who are the aggressively devoted. Um, by doing these things that happen within charisma hacking, what, what happens is we have people who are not only addicted to our products or find our solutions helpful, but they actually invest in us, the human. And every time they invest in us, the human, our competitors become completely, completely irrelevant, right? So, uh, every business is fueled by this group of people, by this aggressively devoted group of people. They're the people who buy every single offer you put out right they invest in you and every program that you have and the funds that they give you the more that they pay you the more you can run the facebook ads you can do all those things because this is this is the core of your business right and in creating that aggressive devotion um we're then able to charge thousands of dollars to these people because they already trust you right they trust you know your results they have already invested in you the person right so with um i have a lot of clients who come to me and they are already successful entrepreneurs but people invest in their solutions and they don't invest in them anytime they post anything personal it gets zero engagement right or people will come in and they they have a churn problem and it's not because they don't get results for people. They're constantly having to do lead gen, right? Instead of having this group of people that once they come in, they never leave, right? It's you only have to catch that fish one time instead of having them come in, maybe nibble on something and then jump out of your boat, right? So with increasing revenue, the first thing is, um, you know, with customer acquisition, if you can get really, really clear on, you know, your charisma identity and making sure that you are that predictable character, customer acquisition is a lot easier. You attract the right type of customer who is going to ascend through your programs. Second thing is with customer retention, those aggressively devoted people, like I said, they don't just invest in that first product. Even if you're building that second product, they become your beta users. They invest in every single thing all the way up and down your value ladder. Um, and then just an increasing revenue in general, right? It's, uh, your ads will be better. Your video will be better. Uh, they will refer people to you. Um, it really, it, it touches every aspect of your business. It's if you don't have this, your business, your business is actually very much in trouble, right? Because you are just, you're bleeding in different places that they are trying to fill these holes with, with solutions that aren't sustainable. Yeah, that that's. So basically the, the moral of the story is you gotta be authentic. You gotta be yourself, yeah. be the best version of yourself when you're with people that you love the most or care the most about, right? Mm -hmm. And enjoy the most. And then spread that out to your community or the people that you wanna work with. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say the last thing too is um, the highest thing that you learn in charisma hacking is this, this concept that I call emotional mapping. Um, with 
charisma. The reason why we um, we use charisma in order to evoke emotions from people. And if we can take them through specific emotions, when we are in control of their emotions, we're then in control of their actions, right? And when when you can say, feel this, and then they feel that, you can say, buy this, and then they'll buy that. Right. So it's it's being intentional about every emotion that you're taking people through and with breaking things down with all those categories that we talked about. It's not just about being observant. It's about being able to turn those dials up and down and saying, what's the emotion we need to evoke here in order to move people through, uh, you know, through this video, through this program, in order to get them to connection, trust and buying from you. And if that emotion is intense enough, because it's already something that's built into your personality, we can say, oh, how can we turn that up or down? Right. How can we tweak this to make sure we're taking people through specific intentional emotions in order to, once again, have them connect with you, have them trust you and have them buy from you. Right. So, yeah, exactly. We have to be predictable. We have to make sure that um, we are authentic and all of those things to ourselves. And then we have to make sure that we're being very intentional and we are in control of our emotions and in control of the emotions of our audience so that then we're in control of their actions. So what would be anywhere from three to five steps or less that you would give to folks to execute on that? Sure. Yeah. So the first thing, um, it, it depends on the length of your video. So if you separate that with two different things, um, usually a Facebook live is a little bit shorter than something like a webinar, uh, with a Facebook live, if you get anything that's under like 20 ish minutes, um, you can set a single intentional emotion that you want mm -hmm. to take people through. The important part is being intentional about that. Right. So you have to map out. You say, what do I need people to feel and what do I need people to know through this video that I'm doing right now? What do I need them to feel? What do I need, need them to know? And you write it down and you post it on your computer. Right. Because every single every single thing that you say, every motion that you make, everything you do with your voice, everything that you do with your face, it has to feed into that specific emotion or every you know piece of knowledge that you give them has to feed into that piece of knowledge so that you have a very clear what I call a call to emotion and not just a call to action. You need them to feel a specific thing, right? If you have a webinar or a longer video, you can map out several different emotions. You can say, at this point, I need them to feel this specific thing. At this point, I need them to feel this specific thing, right? At this point, I need them to feel this specific thing, right? It's saying, what do I want my audience to see of me? And what do I need them to feel? So a lot of times I'll be like, okay, uh, if I need somebody to see me as funny, right? And I want them to feel at ease. I can say, okay, all of my stuff needs to be very disarming here. When I'm speaking to my audience, I need to make sure that uh, I'm bringing in this part of my personality. And if I need them to be at ease for what purpose, right? I can write it on the side and then I can come up with different phrases in order to get myself emotionally there. I can be like, listen, we're just having a conversation here. I want to be friends with you. This is great. Before my camera ever starts, get yourself in that emotional place before you start the camera. Right. And then as you start the camera, you are already in that emotional place and you already know how to act and react within that emotion that you framed out for yourself. Right. So I guess that last thing with that step, uh, it's something that I call a warm open versus a cold open. A lot of people push record and they expect magic to happen. That's not how it worked. Right. So if you were an Olympic sprinter and you had four laps around, right, you were doing a 400 race and you did not take a warm up lap, the first lap of your race would be your warm up lap. Right? You either choose the warm up or the warm up is chosen for you. Same thing happens with video. When we say, okay, if you push record, right, a lot of people will say, well, I get better as I go. 
right? When I'm five <laughs> minutes or 10 minutes into my video, I'm way better at it. The reason for that is you haven't warmed up before. And the whole first part of your video you were using is your warm up, right? So before you ever push record, you have to choose your warm up or the warm up is chosen for you. So once you have these words that you've mapped out and you say, here's what I need my audience to see of me, and here is the emotion that I need them to feel, we come up with those phrases in order to get ourselves in that frame of mind. Before you ever push record or push go live, you turn to the side, right? So there's a body shift and get yourself emotionally there. Like I said, those phrases could be anything like, we're gonna be friends here, guys, it's gonna be totally fine. Like you're gonna listen to everything I say, this is gonna be awesome. Or it could be, if it's empathy, it's like, listen, I need you to understand this because this is an important thing for you, right? Whatever that is, repeat it over and over again until you get yourself emotionally there, you're all warmed up and then you push record and then you go live and then your audience resonates with that emotion so much more and you don't have to pull teeth and have everybody bounce out of your video before you're warmed up. That's cool. I like that. So how long do you warm up for? Mm, I would say at least 30 to 40 seconds. It doesn't have to be a long time. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's it's usually, it depends on how practiced you are as well. <laughs> some people some people will like spend some time warming up. It even could be 20 seconds as long as you don't just start the video. If you're newer, I would say take about 40, 45 seconds. Uh, warm up before, just say these phrases out loud over and over and over again before you push record. The better you get at it, uh, the quicker you can kind of snap into things as well. But I would never just go in cold. <laughs> that's just, that, that's never a good idea. So basically you're like warming up your emotional state that mm -hmm. you want your audience to feel mm -hmm. and then having it right in front of you is kind of like a reminder yes. so that as you go through, you're hitting on those. I think that's awesome. Like I've never really heard a call to emotion. So I love that. I think that's, it's really cool and totally necessary because like, logic is is how people make decisions but emotion is what creates action right so um so i think that's that's uh that's that's dead on Thank one you. last question or, or two last i should say sure. what would you recommend because this is people are getting zoomed to death right let's say we're talking not a recorded video but a live zoom mm -hmm. where you have five different people six different people on there any last recommendations you'd have on that? And then I want everyone to know where they could find you. So totally. Yeah. Um, zoom to death. So like when you're in a meeting, how to draw the eye, what, what, can you elaborate well, on the question? Well, I'll give you an example. I was talking to one of my neighbors and he's, he's an executive at a really big publicly traded company. And I'm like, so how you been doing? What's going on? And I'm like, you've been doing a lot of yard work lately. What's going on there? And he's yeah. like, He's like, Ryan, I like, I'm in, I'm on zoom for like eight, nine hours a day. And like, so people are checking out, like they're just so freaking tired of just like staring at the box. You know yeah. what I mean? So any anything you would recommend, and obviously animation, excitement, voice modulation, yeah. that always helps, right? But anything you'd recommend for like folks that are, are selling to multiple people at the same time or conversing with them, anything that you'd, you'd uh, recommend is, is kind of a parting tip. Yeah, absolutely. So if we look at the concept of a pattern interrupt, and if you guys don't know what a pattern interrupt, it literally, it interrupts a pattern. Right? We're looking at something that is the same and then something that changes that in an instant. So um, there are a lot of different types of pattern interrupts. The first one that I want to uh, kind of dive into very quickly is if you look at the things that are not engaging, that have scientific principles behind them, remember everything with charisma hacking is repeatable and measurable. If it's not, I don't feel like it has a place in business. So we look at things like meditation apps. They are meant to not be engaging. In fact, they are meant to be the opposite of engaging. They are meant to put us to sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. And 
the the things that go into a meditation app it's all very monotone it's one level the whole time even the cadence remains the same it is tune outable right it's meant to have us tune it out and to dive into our own thoughts right so if we take just vocally there and we say we want to be the opposite opposite of a meditation app we have to add things called vocal pattern interrupts right you have to interrupt that pattern otherwise people will tune it out regardless if they're supposed to be paying attention or not they will tune it out right the exact same thing is like when you're in a yoga studio right things that are supposed to be very meditative right every motion is very slow if it's a rapid movement it would draw the eye too much right it would knock people out of that meditative state. So if we take that and we say, what's the opposite of that? The pattern interrupt or the thing that would draw the eye is quick movement, right? So if you have different voice modulations, right? I call this dynamic pitch going up and down. If you emphasize things a little bit differently, like with the percussive nature of your voice, then you move to movement and you say, okay, if you hold still, people can put you on mute and not have to engage with you, right? But if you are moving even if you are muted even if they can't see you you still are going to draw their eye and they're not going to be able to tune you out right the last thing is like when you are on camera the thing that people are craving is human connection right that's what we are trying to recreate we're trying to create a three-dimensional emotional experience on a two-dimensional screen and that's a hard thing to do right so one of the things that people are craving is eye contact Right. The hard thing with Zoom is that everybody is going to look at the person they're talking to right here. Right. They're not going to look in the camera because this is what the camera like. This is me looking at myself right here. And this is me looking at Ryan. Right. So, like, as I look at these things, it's I am not or I am not connecting with. Yeah, exactly. I'm not connecting with my audience here, even an audience of one, an audience of five, somebody that I'm selling to. I'm not having that human connection that we have when we're selling in person right when we're trying to make that connection in person i'm missing that right and every time i look here or look here i'm missing out on that human connection that comes from making eye contact with people even though this connection me looking in the camera feels less connected to me it feels more connected to ryan and it feels more connected to the audience right it feels more connected to whoever's on the other side of the camera a lot of times when people are being interviewed or when they're in a room, uh, you know, with lots of people, they will be like, okay, I'm going to look here because I'm looking at the CEO and here's where he needs my attention when it can look even, you know, just subconsciously, it can look like you're distracted, it can look like you're somewhere else. But if you're making intense eye contact, automatically it's going to feel more engaging, right? You don't need to be distracted by yourself or somebody that's talking to you. Right. So we're trying to create that connection in as many ways as possible with pattern interrupts. And then obviously with that human connection aspect of it. Beautiful. So we're, I love it. Love the energy. You're coming in hot. Like I said, on a Monday, you're, you're hitting it. It's great stuff. So so, fun. I love it. Um, so yeah. So where can people find you? Where can they learn more about uh, Charisma Hacking? Charisma Vault, I think we talked about. So why don't you yeah. let, let people know where they can find you and how they can learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So I do a thing. Um, everyday on facebook called everyday charisma and all this is is i break down the charisma hacking principles that people that you love <laughs> are already using right i point out the things that 
I teach my people that other people are already really fantastic at. And it's totally free and it allows you to dive into charisma hacking uh, on a really deep level and you're able to see it on a lot of different personality types used in a lot of different situations, whether that's an ad, a sales video, a Facebook Live, uh, a YouTube video, a stage performance, all these different things. So if you go to charismavault.com, like I said, it's totally free. Um, you can check that out. It has a ton of different people there. And the first thing that you get when you sign up for charismavault.com is you get an email from me that says, be my friend, and it'll send you my schedule so that we can connect personally because my very favorite thing is to make friends. So you can, yeah, go to charismavault.com. You can check out all that stuff. And then if you're like, McCall, be my friend, then I would love to be your friend. And you can sign up through that just with my scheduling link with the first thing that it sends to you. And you, you have to say it like that. And you, you, have, to, you yeah. have to like that crazy, I don't, I don't know, not crazy, but intense. Totally. intense. Oh, totally. So awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on today, McCall. So much for uh, love, love the energy, love the fun. Thank and, you. Um, you know, excited. Check her out if you have not seen her stuff yet. It's great. She did this for the entire month of December, just dissecting people left and right. It was really cool just to see the dynamics that different people have with how they look, talk, act towards the camera. And it's something I'm actively working on and it will be helping you as well. So That's thank awesome. you very much. Yeah, of course. Have a good one. Have a good one. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know that time is one of the most valuable resources. So I truly honor and appreciate you coming along this journey with me. One of the things that I wanna ask you is if you really truly enjoyed this and know someone that this can make an impact on, please share this episode with them. If you're on a journey for financial and lifestyle freedom, it is always exponentially better if we're building a tribe with like-minded people who are on the same journey. In addition, I have an amazing PDF for you that could be career changing in terms of the content. Essentially what it is are the top 10 questions that every big customer is asking behind closed doors that no one is telling you about. I'll put a link for it in the show notes. So check it out. It's my free gift for you for being a part of this launch and being a part of this journey with me. And I hope to see you soon.